welcome back to series two of Mud Between Your Toes. In this series, I'm going to let my guests do all the talking. People with a great and often inspirational story to tell, or maybe just something funny. So sit back and enjoy Conversations with Pete Wood. Hello. For anyone who loves Shakespeare, they'll know that Cawdor Castle was the home of Macbeth. It's also home to Dowager Countess Cawdor. Angelica, Dowager Countess Cawdor, was brought up in Rhodesia by parents who fled Czechoslovakia during the Second World War. And she's here today to chat to me about her early life growing up in the Southern African country. And of course, her life in the 14th century castle in the north of Scotland. So Dowager Countess Cawdor, welcome to Conversations with Peter Wood. I'm delighted to be here, Peter. We'll, we'll get to your childhood in a moment, but if we may, I think we should begin with a little refresher on the real Macbeth. It seems that Shakespeare took a fair amount of artistic license when writing the Scottish play, because although the castle dates back to the 14th century, Macbeth was set in the 11th century. Indeed. And um, I have for years been trying to reestablish the reputation of arguably the best King of Scotland ever, who was Macbeth. Macbeth was an extraordinary king. He um, reigned for, I think it was 15 years, when at the time the reign generally was about five years. He was able to go to Rome with his wife, Gruroch, um, and they were away for three years. When he came back, he still had a throne. So, you know, that all just shows to what extent he was a remarkable, remarkable king. And, and, ob and obviously must, much loved by his people. Much loved by his people. And his reputation has been dragged through the mud by the wonderful Shakespeare, but still I think Macbeth deserves better because, because you know, every school child across the world has had to, you know, do the Scottish play at one point or another and, um, and thinks that this is a murderer, you know, who killed people in their beds. Of course he killed people. Everybody did at the time. That was normal warfare, but he actually killed Duncan in battle in a place called Spiney, not very far from here. And um, yeah, Duncan died on the battlefield. I mean, Duncan, and, King Duncan died honorably, although, you know, admittedly uh, at the hands of Macbeth. In a battle on the battlefield. Never and let course, the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> I'm afraid that's very much the case. No, you know, Macbeth, and of course, um, for Corda Castle, which, as you said, was built in the 14th century, around about 1370. Um, our best public relations, of course, is Shakespeare. We get normally, not this year, but normally we get around 100,000 visitors from all over the world um, because of Shakespeare, because of the Scottish play. Um, Angelica, as custodian of Cawdor Castle, you have, rightly or wrongly, well, 
been referred to as Lady Macbeth. How do you react to that? Because <laughs> Shakespeare's Lady Macbeth was the overly ambitious wife of Macbeth who persuaded him to murder King Duncan in his bed. Um, you must feel a little uneasy when the press call you Lady Macbeth. I'm afraid I don't feel uneasy about anything the press can say. But I hope you don't walk around Cawdor Castle shouting out damned Spot, unless of no. course Spot is your naughty Cocker Spaniel. Not at all, not at all. Um, Cawdor, if you ever come and see it, is an extraordinary house because it has very, very strong energy and it doesn't take on the energy of anybody else. Not the people who live here or the people who come through it. It's, um, it's, a, it's a very beneficial house. And one of the things that visitors do remark on quite often in the visitor's book is, um, is how peaceful and jolly the house is compared to what they imagined Corder Castle to be. So, um, so no, I, you know, I, I have um, no it, problem. It's, it remains in Campbell ownership since the 16th century. Um, is that a tremendous burden or responsibility to be the protector of such a historic building? No, it's, um, it's, it's not a burden. And I do it with great pleasure, as I promised to do my husband, I would do. And, you know, I suppose I need to explain that to me, um, the universe is very much alive. There is no such thing as dead. A house may be built of stone, but it is very much alive. And if you tune in to what happens around you, um, you find that you, know, you can have a quite a close relationship to the stones. And since I am its guardian and I do my very best to look after it, um, in a certain sense, it also looks after me. No, you, it, yeah, I mean, you, you, but you've just said that you get at least 100,000 visitors a year. Um, yeah. It's safe to say you were instrumental in turning the castle into a profit-making business. Yes, yeah, very much so, especially that you know, we have three shops and they do very well and I have lots of things made for me, specifically in Scotland, etc. So, you know, things and, you know, we can keep improving the gardens and doing things. No, it's, it's, um, it's a full-time job. I employ 54 people during the season. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's all wonderful, works. But of course, 2020 is a difficult year because we haven't been able to open and, you know, but. You know, so you haven't, just, you haven't opened at all to the public this year? Only the gardens from June to September. Okay, can you tell me about the gardens and some of the works of art? Yes, of course I can. We have three gardens, which is quite unusual for a Scottish castle of the date of quarter. Um, the oldest of the gardens was a wonderful vegetable garden, but actually for some reason, the tourists decided it was a free supermarket. And so they decided to pull up the onions and you know, take the carrots and so on. Finally, the head gardener had enough when the local the vicar was picking his strawberries under the strawberry net. And so he sort of blew a gasket. 
And Hughes said, calm down, calm down, Andy. He was called Andy Wood. Um, now we'll, we'll close the garden and we will create a non-edible garden. So that's what we now have. In the walled garden, we have a maze, paradise garden, the earth garden, and an orchard. It's basically, the maze was Hugh's part of the garden, and the others are my symbolic gardens. Then we have a flower garden that dates back to the 18th century, and a wild garden, it dates back to the 19th century. So we're well supplied in gardens. And of course, the castle itself, I mean, for those who haven't seen pictures of the castle, it's the traditional stuff of tourist dreams, imposing gray stone exteriors, complete with crenellated parapets, portraits of Campbell of Cordor ancestors, tapestries, velvet um, canopied beds. It's got all of it, hasn't it? It certainly does. So go on to our website, um, which is cordercastle.com and, uh, and have a look. It's well worth coming to see if you're in this part of the world. Absolutely, it sounds absolutely divine. Now, and Angelica, you were brought up in Rhodesia by parents who fled Czechoslovakia during the Second World War. Of course, um, you later married Hugh Campbell in 1979 and remained with him until his death in 1992. By all accounts, it was a, a very happy and successful marriage. It was. Hugh was an extraordinary man. And as your cousin who knew him well will tell you, he was great fun, never a dull moment. And um, he was very erudite, loved Corder, and um, he was the one who opened it to the public in 1976. And, you know, he, he took real pride in, in what he'd achieved to do that. My cousin speaks very fondly of him and she also speaks about his tartan a lot. Yes, actually, I'm not wearing my tartan today. Well, you can't, <laughs> your, visit, your viewers can't see me in any case. So it's a very good tartan. <gasps> One of the favorite tartans of the, of the um, Japanese. Oh, Campbell, fabulous, fabulous. Mm -hmm. so, so who are your main visitors? Are they from Japan or are they from, uh, mm, they're, they're from, they're from the all UK? Over, base, basically all over the world. Um, I suppose our main clientele other than the you know, visitors from the UK are the Americans. Yeah. And then probably um, the French and the Germans in that sort of, and then come the Scandinavian countries. Um, we have a lot of Spanish visitors at the moment and we still have quite a lot of, of, of Japanese and only the beginning of a, um, a tourist market from, from China, but I think it will come. Angelica, you said that you're trying to address the history of Macbeth. How are you doing that? Are you doing that with brochures in the uh, well, on your on your website? It's it's in the brochures. It's you know we have little handouts, and whenever um, there is the possibility of saying to some of the elected officials, should we not have a monument to Scotland's greatest king, Macbeth? Hmm. I'm trying, but I'm not there yet. You'll get there, I'm sure. Let's so. move on to Rhodesia. Do you remember much of your childhood growing up in of Rhodesia? Of course. I adored my childhood from the age of six to 18 in Rhodesia. You know, that 
it just just was so wonderful. And um, I'm sure ma many of your listeners have read your book, but um, I loved it. I really loved it. It brought back so many memories of places and names and things. But of course, my Rhodesia was completely different from yours. And I thank God that I did not have to go through what you had to go through. Because uh, uh, you left uh, in the 1970s, did you? No, I left in uh, in March of 1962. Oh, my goodness. I wasn't even born then. I, I was know. born in July 1962. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no. I, you know, I had finished school at the end of 61 and I left for I knew that you know my life would not be in Africa and so I really left Rhodesia and and where did but you live in Rhodesia Angelica we lived well when we arrived of course and um, as refugees the world's your oyster because you have nothing and so you know you start again and so we were sitting in the Meekles hotel for a bit while my father looked for a farm, which um, we bought in um, near Beatrice, it was called Canterbury Farm, glorious place, 24 miles south of Salisbury. And, um, and that was my childhood. And of course, um, I had to go to school. My, I have an elder sister who's 10 years older than I. And so while we were in the Meekles Hotel, we went to day school in the Dominican convent, um, but neither of us spoke the language. So we had to learn quite quickly, which we did. Goodness, and you didn't speak English. No, of course we didn't. We spoke Czech and German. Oh, wow. And so, um, so yeah, it was a little bit, you know, a sharp learning curve, but that was fine. And then once Papa had bought the farm with the bank's money, um, we had to be boarders. And because I was six years old, the nuns took pity on me and said I could go home for weekends, which was my saving grace. So on Friday afternoon, Papa used to come and fetch me and I came back to school on Monday morning. That was supposed to be only you know, while I was not while I couldn't speak English properly, but I managed, thank God, to keep that all the way through. Every time I, you know, my grades took a dive, the you know, sister Virginia would say, "Well, perhaps we'll have to, you know, stop you leaving for the weekend to make you work harder." Immediately, my grades went back up again, and you know, till the end, I had this privilege of leaving the school on on the Friday afternoon. And I it's, adored my life on the farm. It sounds like you got on well with the nuns as well. My gran went to the convent and she hated the nuns. She felt that she said that they were terribly cruel to her. No, can't complain at all. They were perfectly nice to me. And, um, and really no very, no, they, they, in a funny way, I suppose they were almost sort of pioneers. In those days, um, no, I'm talking about 1950 and 51, um, the headmistress had come to Rhodesia with Cecil Rhodes. And, you know, she was a wonderful woman. And I'm sure they could be tricky, but I got on very well with them. Can't, can't really complain at all. And um, 
yeah, so I, I, you know, spent every weekend at home. And um, what made me smile, which in fact made me decide that I would talk to you, was the title of your book, your lovely book, um, Mud Between My Toes. Oh, thank you so and much. I'll tell you why that struck a chord is, I suppose it was in 1954, three or four perhaps, we had an awful drought and our maize was starting to look like onions and the tobacco mm. plants were drooping their leaves and they were starting to burn on the ground. And, oh dear me. And since I, you know, by this time was a very religious girl, I prayed when I saw these beautiful black clouds coming towards us. I prayed, really prayed, please, 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 please. You know, it's life and death, we need this. And all of a sudden, the clouds decided to go away. I got so furious, I really gave a rocket to God. And I said, you know, finished. I don't believe in anything anymore, forget it, etc." And then all of a sudden, that wonderful thing, you know, when the first drop of rain drops, mm. it splatters like a sunburst in, in the dry soil. And I stared because I saw the clouds go away. And, but I was, uh, a host was just behind a couple and I was facing, obviously, I, I wasn't aware of what was behind me. And all of a sudden, this fantastic downpour. And I will always remember that feeling of your toes is sinking into the mud. We were saved. That was so beautiful. Oh, and I'm so glad that my book served some purpose. Absolutely brought back that very marvelous memory. Of, of course, you were born in Prague, um, but, and I you was. were born actually to an aristocratic family yourself. Yes, uh, I've always been a countess. But, oh, you have, you have. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how did you meet uh, Hugh Campbell? I, um, Hugh Corder. Corder, uh, I beg your pardon. Yeah, the family name is Campbell, but no, Hugh, Hugh Corder, was, Corder. Um, is, of course, Corder. How did I meet him? I met him in Scotland. I came um, with a friend of mine to tour Scotland oh, years ago. And um, I met Hugh like one meets him. This friend gave a big dinner party, um, well, a buffet dinner party. She, she was renting one of Hugh's houses here. And, um, and I happened to sit next to this man called Hugh Corder. And we had a very jolly conversation at dinner. And the other side, I had another Scotsman who said, well, you know, you live in Paris. Could you help me sell my smoked salmon? I said, I probably can, et cetera. And so that was that. And about a year later, oh no, actually about two years later, I was standing in the passport queue at Heathrow because I had created a marketing company and um, which thank God was doing very well. And one of my, in fact, my first international client was American Express, their headquarters were in London. And so I was coming to a meeting called by American Express on a Monday morning at nine o'clock. And so I was in terribly bad mood because this was obviously Sunday night. 
and I was thinking to myself, and I'm going to spend three quarters of an hour in a taxi trying to get into town. You know, how very uncivilized of American Express could they not do that on a Tuesday, for example? <laughs> and you know, so, et cetera. So the man behind me says, I think we've met before. And I turn around and say, if you don't have anything more interesting to say, don't bother talking to me. And to my horror, he says, well, actually, it was in Scotland at Dalcross Castle. And so I turn around and he says, my name's Hugh Corder. And I said, I'm so sorry. That was incredibly rude of me. I didn't recognize you. And I'm in a bad temper because of that. So I explained all of that. And he says, well, you know, can I give you a lift into London? At least you don't have to take a taxi. I said, oh, would that be lovely? And so he then you know, we went on to say, what are you doing for dinner? I said, I'm not doing anything. We had a very jolly dinner. And he said, well, if I ever come to Paris, could I give you a ring? He says, sure. Um, he was you know, divorced by then. And um, I gave him my telephone number and that was that. And then a few weeks later, I get this telephone call saying, would you like to have lunch? I said, what, are you in Paris here? And across the street from your office. Well, we were married a year later. There we are. And the rest is history. It uh, is indeed. Now, Corda Castle, as you said, has been closed down because of COVID-19. You still have all the staff to pay for. How are you actually coping during lockdown? Well, um, my, the 54 people are seasonal for the most part. I have a small, much smaller core um, staff. And yes, we know we're going to have a nice hole by the end of this and hope that you know, future years will make up for it. Yeah, indeed, difficult times. Now, if people want to find out more about Cordor Castle, they can simply go to the website, cordorcastle.com. Exactly, exactly. So will you, before we go, permit me to make a complete fool of myself. Um, I was looking for a quote from Macbeth that wasn't depressing, but they're all rather maudlin, I have to say. Um, but I'm going to leave you with these incredibly powerful words. I hope that I can do it justice. So, you know, bear with me. Tomorrow. And tomorrow. And tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage, and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Very good. You have a career on the stage in front of you. 
<laughs> of course, it's about the death of Lady Macbeth, and there's absolutely no meaning there. I, I was simply trying to find <laughs> something that I could actually read. Uh, but sadly, we're actually out of time. Dowager Countess Angelica Corda, it has been an honor and a thousand thanks for joining me on Conversations with Peter Wood. It's been a pleasure, Peter, and it's brought back many wonderful old memories. A pleasure. And I hope the visitors start coming in soon. Or are you closed for the yes. season? No, we're closed. We will be opening again um, in mid-April, COVID allowing. Absolutely. Well, it will, it will change. Next year, onwards and upwards. Thank Absolutely. you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure, my dear. It's All a right. pleasure. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That was the Dowager Countess Corda, quite simply oozing sophistication and charm. How good is it to hear about the real Macbeth? Well, that's all for now. But if you enjoyed listening to that podcast, you might also find my book, Mud Between Your Toes, faintly amusing. You can buy the book on Amazon. You can find both series one and two of my podcasts on a plethora of platforms from direct links on my Mud Between Your Toes Facebook page to apps such as Podbean, Apple Music, iTunes Store, Spotify Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, CastBox, TuneIn Radio and Google Podcasts. So don't miss out on my next episode. Goodbye.